You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 329 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor Kitty Bell Burbank. She's an artist, a playwright, a writer, a baker, a candlestick maker, great insight, great personality. She and I discuss her obsession with Troilus and Cressida, a Shakespeare play, Cressida in particular. We talk about some Greek mythology and parallels with some female characters uh, that connect with Cressida as she sees it. We talk about a great book titled Silence of the Girls, Leprosy, Women Today, Women Who Are Married to Trump Supporters, God Help Them, Single Moms Not Being Married, Legitimacy, Who Is Authorized to Decide When Something Counts, The Definition of Success, and Mueller and His Report on Stage. Among other things, a great conversation with Kitty Bell Burbank on today's program. We also have an EWSA titled Sneakers. And the third part of a series titled Edgar Lee Masters Project, as put together and read by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise. It's an excerpt from Mr. Masters' work called The Spoon River Anthology. And we have a poem called Harmony. All of this, of course, as is always the case, is infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so good to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 329 of Troubadours and Tours. Mistrust, love's gone behind 
sneakers. How do you stand by and watch, just sit and listen to your country speak in hate-dripping tongues? Is it our manifest destiny to take aim at a human being's dignity, speak out and spread ugly, venomous inanity into the grand yet empty ether until we are lost in complicity, dithering about, licking and bemoaning these self-inflicted wounds? I remember a time I shared with a friend way back when, I was around 19 years old. Brett is a man, African-American. We crashed the summer porch party in the hill section of our hometown. It was a humid night. We had on shorts, sneakers, button-down, short-sleeve shirts. He was the only person of color on the porch. We shared a few convivial conversations with several of the guests. Then one young man mentioned the heat we all were experiencing, looked at Brett and said, Yeah, but you must be used to it. Smugly looking at him for a few uncomfortable moments, then walked away. There were giggles and grunts. I looked at my friend and felt his embarrassment. I said something supportive, I suppose. Then we left that porch. Couldn't hang out with those monkeys. We ended up, I think, as usual, sitting in my Ford Maverick, drinking beer, philosophizing as two young men about the world, and listening to cassette tapes. I come up hard on the pond. I had to win. 
know some places and I see some faces I got good connections, they dig my directions When people say that's okay, they don't bother me I'm ready to make it, don't care what the weather Don't care about no trouble, got myself together I feel no kind of protection that's all around Kitty Bell, is that you? Yes. Oh my gosh. It seems like years. It has been since December. Did you not get the cookies I left for you again? No. See, that's what it was. This was, it was spite because I didn't get the, the, the holiday cookies. What? I left them on the porch. <laughs> you know, I moved, right? So, okay. So who lives in your house now? They got some cookies. <laughs> I don't know. That's what happened. There it is. Oh, uh, wow. I didn't know you moved. I'm I, sorry. I <laughs> I'm such a bad Santa. That's, yeah, you got to check your list. You do. You do. But uh, nonetheless, Kitty Bell Burbank on Troubadours and Rock On Tours, a regular contributor. She's been with us since the beginning. She is um, a writer. She is an artist, an activist, a baker and a candlestick maker, among other things. And uh, today we're going to talk a bit about some of the things on her mind as of late. Uh, she saw recently the Scranton Shakespeare Festival production of Troilus and Cressida, a not often staged uh, piece by William Shakespeare. And some of the themes there has her thinking, and uh, let her get into it. We also are going to talk a bit about legitimacy and, uh, you know, who is authorized to decide when something, quote, counts. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Mueller report. Uh, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's first, let's start off with the, the thoughts, the ideas, the connections, the parallels that are coming to mind for you after watching the production of Troilus and Cressida. Yeah. Well, I clearly have to write my own version. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, just checking. <laughs> it's been a day. Yes, it has. Um, I I was amazed. Well, first of all, like I haven't I hadn't read it, never saw it, which I, I've studied a lot of Shakespeare. Uh, I think I took three different courses. I took I took every Shakespeare class they had at Drew. Uh, in undergrad and I've been, you know, seeing everything I can since then. And, and always, you know, I watch the films, I, I read the texts periodically, I'll pick up a book and I just never touched that play. And I was astonished by its complexity, which, um, 
fascinated me because I'm I'm a fan of the complex often. And um, also that it was a play about a woman being unfaithful. And when you really look at it, it, it this is war. This is the Trojan War. So these are Greek uh, heroes and... I, I know a lot about Greek mythology because that's another one of my key interests. I, I didn't spend a lot of time studying the Trojan War, but you just know certain things, right? And and you know that these women were being captured in war and and traded around. They were they were being taken along with the gold and the cattle and whatever of value was there as they ransacked towns. And and they didn't have any real power or say in what happened to them. They they didn't make choices who they were with. <laughs> right. you know? So I, I found this fascinating. And, you know, I started looking at the different versions and there's a great Scottish version. It's a Hennison that came out after Chaucer's version. Um, and Chaucer's not the one that turned the Trojan War story that Homer wrote into this sort of idea of Troilus and, and Cressida being these consenting lovers that, you know, she then went on and, and chose to be with someone else on him. Um, there was a, that was done before him, actually, uh, the uh, Boccaccio uh, kind of did that. And there was another one too. I don't know. There's so many versions. I like went down a rabbit hole here like really reading all these versions and, and Hennison's I found really interesting because it like follows Cressida after Diomedes dumps her and she's like a, a whore and she gets leprosy, which they thought was a venereal disease. And it just imagines the worst possible fate for this woman. And because she was unfaithful. So they're, they're punishing her, but in reality she was a sex slave. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I find it fascinating that history, you know, took that, went on that, you know, evolution. And and then so what do we do about that today? Do we ignore that? You know, given like th- uh, things like the Me Too movement and and, yeah. uh, you know, where we are uh, in terms of how we look at the way women have been treated in the history of humankind? Do we, when you say ignore it, should we call it out? Is that what you mean? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I saw the Scranton Shakespeare festival production and completely valid choices. They did a good job. You know, it was a very young cast, but ultimately Cressida, I mean, in one version, she's like a 19 year old virgin. So um, that's different choices have been made at different times. And you know, their interpretation is absolutely fine. Um, I don't think that they necessarily ignored that idea. Um, although it was much more of a, uh, you know, love story. I think at first I, I felt maybe it was a little gray as to what's going on here with her and, and Diomedes. You know, so when Troilus shows up and he's spying and he sees her give him his sleeve, which is sort of the the key moment that, you know, he's like, she's betrayed me. Um, but, but she's, but she has no choice. You're saying because she's a sex slave in, in reality. Yeah. 
like in history, she, these women did not choose to be with these guys. He took her (laughs) as a trade for another person and she doesn't have any say in what happens to her. And there's one book I just started listening to. I told you I went down a a deep hole on this, uh, the silence of the girls and it's from the women's point of view. So, um, it's, well, there's Bresis and there's, um, well, the character that becomes Cressida, her name got changed. It's, uh, Prisis, Crisis, um, in the Iliad. So there's two women and they kind of combined them, uh, as you know, the, the Renaissance came around. They got turned into one character. And they're saying that th- this is this character uh, that is similar in both uh, pieces yeah. represents uh, today. It, yeah. it, we're looking at it saying represents the way women have been used as, you know, uh, commerce almost or against yeah. against their will. They they have uh, had to have relationships. Yeah. Uh, with people that that's what you're and the book that you just read what was it silence silence of the girls i believe it is i'm still listening to it but it's it's from the point of view of achilles slave woman and uh, and why and is it's very clear that she's being she has no choice she she was captured in when her city was taken and she and a bunch of other women and they're you know stripped and examined and it, it just goes through the the real like what it would have been like and this is Achilles' slave woman. Yeah. Uh, a different the different character. The reason that Achilles stopped fighting in the Trojan War is because, um, so there were those two women that they both got turned into this Cressida character, right? But ultimately, there, there were two women. Agamemnon had a slave, and Achilles had the slave. And um, now this is, this is in Homer. This is in the Iliad. This is probably in any account you see of the Trojan War. Um, there's the um, Agamemnon's slave girl. Her dad comes to get her to take her back and he won't give her up. So he's a priest of Apollo and he like calls out to Apollo who then puts a plague on the Greek army. And the only way for them to stop the plague, so they think, is to give this slave girl back. But then, you know... Um, and, and Achilles is the one that like really pressures him and says, you have to give her back. Right. So he gives her back, but then he's angry that he's had to give up his prize. Um, so he then takes Achilles slave. And that's when he's like, okay, I'm not fighting in your war. Uh, Achilles takes, uh, you're saying uh, Achilles takes Agamemnon's slave or Agamemnon takes Achilles slave. The second. Yeah. Agamemnon but you don't see that in Shakespeare. You just so, don't know Shakespeare why is he's fighting. He's inspired by all of this from the Iliad to create Cressida. Yeah, and and probably Chaucer more so, you know. But yeah, and and today you being a woman in in uh, twenty nineteen, uh, uh, and you know this sounds condescending maybe or yeah. silly because I think you've always been here. Uh, and this term, I don't. I'm not sure how to use it usually, but you're you're a, you're woke, right? A woman who who is yeah. woke in 2019. You're reading all of this that goes back hundreds of years. Yeah. And where does that leave you in your mindset, your analysis, your sense of who we are as a as a species, who women are, how they're looked at today? Hmm. 
Um, any look, different? Any differently? I, well, I really need to write my own Cressida story, <laughs> um, obviously, and I'm fascinated by those different ideas. But, but yeah, when you know she, the, when this man decides he doesn't want her anymore, that he's done with her, that you know she, he's going to move on to someone else. What does she do? You know, and and this happened to a lot of women in history. You know, how do they make money? You know, and um, she in that idea of so what happens to her after and being forced into prostitution and well either that or die. You know, I think it's really kind of interesting to see that story from her point of view. And there's that great scene in in Shakespeare, and some recent productions have have done it in a way that's very gang rapey where she shows up at that camp and there's like all the Greek soldiers kiss her. They like take turns kissing her and you're like, ew, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and some, some productions in the past used to make it like she was enjoying it. And this was like, she was being playful and having a good time kissing all of these guys um, which I think would be really hard to watch today, knowing the actual history and that, you know, she had no choice. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. When you look at, and I'm going to take the shift this over to politics a little bit, because I'm perplexed in many ways about women uh, who support uh, Donald Trump. Hello? Yes, yes. I, I I was saying I lost you for a minute. I was I'm here. I was saying that. Okay. Did you hear the question I asked? I was asking, you know, uh, how do you think this uh, connects with um, women who today support someone like Donald Trump? You know, mm-hmm. do do they not see the history of how women are mistreated? Or do they? Do they just accept it as normal as you know that that's that's the way it is that's the way they feel comfortable with it because when you look at what he represents his with through his behavior and the things that he he says he he's right he treats women as as objects he doesn't really uh you know support uh, uh she watched that horrible video <laughs> that just got released like yesterday by mbc where they're at the uh mar-a-lago in, with, with I don't know, whenever it was. With Epstein, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so gross, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And and, and yet you'll, you'll, they'll show, you know, women for Trump's, you know, chanting, send her back and stuff like that. You know, oh. it's 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 absurd to me. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't, I, it goes back to, you know, that term I used, woke or whatever. Now I'm being an elitist. Now I'm being judgmental, of course. You know, I'm an Italian-American heterosexual male, among other things. And if people start coming around me and I see that they are they are abusing, uh, uh, you know, uh, people that at least look like me in particular, if I see anybody get abused, I don't like it. You know, but if I, of course, see someone specifically being singled out that is just like me, I am not going to say I like that person. You know, I don't get it. There's actually, I've read studies on this. It's funny that you, and there's a great book called, uh, what is it called? Good and Mad. It's by Rebecca Traster uh, about 
women being angry. Um, but there's a there's an essay that uh, I read about women who are married um, to Trump supporters are more likely to be Trump supporters. And like they go in, they, they found it in degrees. So if you were like divorced, but recently married, or if you were in like a it, different degrees of how far removed you were from being in a marriage with a, a man, you were more likely to vote with him um, because this is their security. So this is, they're not going to vote against their husbands because it threatens their position. Wow. It falls right, it falls, it falls right in line with what you were saying. Uh, characters, people like Cressida had to do. And, the, yeah. you know, they, they had to fall in line for security. Wow. It's it's true. You you have to survive. I mean, even as a single mom and being like fiercely independent and, you know, I'm not going to get remarried probably unless it's, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. There were very many times in my life that I had to rely on support from whoever I may have been dating at the time or I could have been in big trouble. You know, like my refrigerator broke and I had to be like, okay, you can help me and get me a refrigerator for as much as I didn't want to, you know, I didn't have a choice. So you'd Um, you'd have to, I'm hearing that uh, echo. uh, You'd have to be uh, friendly with the man to fix your refrigerator. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I don't think I said it like that, (laughs) but I was, I guess I was aware in the relationships that I was in more than once that that I had some support and security from this person that um, that I that I needed that I relied on. Right. That, right. If I didn't have that anymore, um, I could be in big trouble. And in fact, not being married was a huge detriment to my life raising my kids because I did not have that additional support. I didn't get it from my ex husband, and I. I tried to do it on my own, you know, and it was really hard for me. I struggled. I'm still struggling. You just kind of get used to it, I guess. Or you yeah. get good at it. Yeah, you you learn how, how much can I get away with not paying for how long? Or yeah. what can stay broken? You know, or, or what can I, you know, cook that's really cheap? Stuff like that, yeah. And well, some people can't do that. No, no. You know, know. they they just can't. And I have to say that, you know, every time I asked you to marry me, you said no. So (laughs) you had your opportunities with me, at least. I'm stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking to Kitty Bell Burbank here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. A good friend, a regular contributor for, oh, God, since the beginning of the program, pretty much. And uh, we're, we're going all over the place. I think we have a thread, though. You know, we started off with... Cressida from Troilus and Cressida. Uh, yeah, fascinating story. character, really. I, I just think I'd, I'd like to see there, – there's an opportunity there, I guess is how you say it. And so um, I, I'm, I've done a lot of research, and I, I am most definitely going to write my own piece. Yeah, I look forward to, to seeing it staged. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. 
Now, um, I, I would like you to also be able to go down uh, that other path you wanted to go down of, of discourse. You wanted to talk about, um, I guess, legitimacy and who is, right. who is authorized to decide that something counts. Yeah. Or, or, I've been thinking about this lately. I, I've thought about this a long time. I used to have a, a greeting card on my desk that said, all unauthorized persons will be authorized. Um and I remember like when we were doing the office convention here in Scranton, there was like a very tight circle of people who were actually allowed to talk to anybody important. It was so annoying. <laughs> um, I just got, yeah, I just got completely annoyed. And, uh, but so, so I, I've been on this thing a long time. I've always been a little bit of a rebel and like, you know, question authority and all that. But I, I entered a screenwriting contest recently. I've been trying to get my work out there and, um, you know, get some acclaim for it, whatever, you know, I need to do to go to the next step. Um, especially, you know, a lot of teaching jobs that you look at and stuff, they want to see that you've had these accomplishments. And I've had a lot of accomplishments, but they're not quite the ones that people are looking for. <laughs> so it's sometimes I feel like does the work that I've done not count. You know, I was published in the newspaper for 15 years. Does that not count? because it was Scranton and I don't know. Anyway, so the one screenwriting contest I entered, it sounded great. There is like a portion of the proceeds go to suicide prevention or awareness or something. And, um, and it was a reasonable fee. Like some of them have outrageous fees and you know, they're taking advantage of you, but this one seemed reasonable. I liked, you know, what it had to say. So I submitted my script and I was a finalist you know, um, I'm on a list of 10 finalists and presumably hundreds of people at least entered the same contest, you know. So so I feel like I, I should be proud of that and be able to put it on, um, you know, my list of accomplishments or something. But, you know, the more I looked into it, I'm like, well, who is, who are these people? Who is this guy? What contest is this that I won? You right. know, does it count? Does anybody care? Is it important enough that my script was selected as a finalist in this? And I find that the guy that it's this, uh, his name is Erman. He's a Filipino American originally from Virginia. He went to film school out there and uh, he has this company called Ermontourage and he does a lot of networking. He puts on, events like panel events where different people that are doing different jobs in the film industry come and, and talk and everything. And they seem to be pretty well attended events. There's usually a charitable component. I was, you know, pretty impressed by what he was doing, but who, who is he? <laughs> you know, did he actually have his name on a screenplay that got produced? I can't see that anywhere, you know. Did he actually produce a film? I'm not finding that anywhere. Yeah, um, maybe so, he's just a good organizer. Yeah, so he's 30, right? And, like, I, I like the guy. Like, I think, you know, he's got a future ahead of him. He, If you look at what he's done, he's done a lot of work. He's a hardworking guy for, you know, 30 years old. He seems to have accomplished a lot. But, who you know, who is he? Right. And, and who actually were the people that evaluated these scripts and how did it work? And 
Um, I, I don't know. I don't have any answers. I know my daughter is in San Diego right now. She's 23. She had her own solo art show that she made happen. She's been working really hard on her art. And a lot of her friends were like, how did you do that? You know, and she's like, tell you what, I'll curate a group show so that you can all have an art show, too. And I'll have your work in it and stuff. And she did that and it was successful. Does that count? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just a little confused. Yeah. You know, you have these influencers, you know, as they call them these days. And uh, they're just people who maybe uh, at the very least are hard workers uh, they certainly uh, must have a, a, a sort of a, an ego to a certain extent to be willing and, and, and uh, uh, thinking that they, they should and could uh, put themselves out there to that extent. Um, and, and I guess the ones that have talent, too, are, are, are recognized. They're, you know, they put themselves out and, people, and then it connects with people. Uh, and then other people, you know, maybe... The general public doesn't really understand what's good or what isn't good necessarily, and it's subjective, of course, to a great extent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but they just get caught up in the energy that this person or these people uh, ha- have and are, are sharing. And they think, right. well, you know, I, I don't. You're, you're good question. A lot of times we just fall in line too, right? We're just like, yeah, okay, this must be the place. These must be the people that we should uh, seek acceptance and approval from. And and they might not be the best or even good or or what have you. They might be control freaks. They might be egomaniacs. I I don't know. I mean, time tells, though. You know, things that are really good usually can, they're timeless, and they and they resonate for a, a long period, right? Like you hear a, you look at a piece by Picasso or uh, Da Vinci or um, uh, a song by Joni Mitchell, uh, and and you're you're like, wow, that's brilliant, because it just holds up this without any other context, just on its own. Yeah. But still, in the short term, how many how many programs have you been a part of in your local community uh, that you know we're all hyped up and everybody got in on it because they just they get caught up in the hype? But you reflected at that time, or maybe as time as some time went on, that that you know the content there wasn't that great, but everybody mm. was cheering it on. It was just like hysteria almost. I'm sure you've yeah. experienced that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and th- yeah. I just find it interesting. I mean, I've done a lot of DIY stuff. Do I very your, much do it yourself for those who aren't yeah. hip. Yeah. And, and I've always had that kind of aesthetic, you know, um, just from even like being like a eighties teenager into punk and stuff. And, <laughs> but now that I'm, you know, um, I hate to say middle aged, but it's true. And, you know, I'm looking for security and stability in my life. And, and like need to maybe work one job instead of two or three um, just for my own health and sanity. It's like, I, I feel like what I've done it isn't, doesn't count. It's, it, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm crazy or um, yeah. Nah. So you're not, you're it's not, gotta keep working, right? You're not crazy. You know, it's, uh, First of all, you're not a butt kisser. I know that for sure. Oh, and that, yeah. you know, uh, and, and sometimes it's just uh, f- getting lucky enough, I guess, to, to network with the right people, uh, too. Yeah. Um, 
And you are a single mom. You were. That held you back, for sure. I mean, you love your daughters dearly and deeply, and you're a great mother, but that kept you out of the game for a bit. And and, and you can't make up that time, really, often. No, uh, you can't. Or that money, you know, that yeah. you could have been made, working toward otherwise. Uh, so right. as, as a single mom, uh, that in, in some ways uh, sets you off the track of what some people would deem uh, the road to success. But in many ways, you know, and again, I've known you for some, some time, you are pretty successful, you know, uh, you, 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 the way that you, you, you look at uh, life and how you found a center without losing your soul and how you pursue what it is that's important to you uh, mm-hmm. and, and how you keep uh, healthy relationships with your children. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have integrity. That, all that is so important. That's success. Thank you. I love that. I think it is, too. I just, just got to make sure I can keep food on the table and, uh, <laughs> you know, roof over my head while my rent goes up and all that. So success is how you define it. Absolutely. But then there's, you know, survival. Is is your success going to sustain you if it's not somebody else's version of what success is supposed to look like? Well put. Well put. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's why I think in many ways our society would be better off in the U.S. if we had a better safety net where people didn't have to worry about health insurance. They didn't have to worry about debt for, for uh, uh, education. Uh, you know, there were solid schools for all people as soon as they're able to walk through through college, you know, uh, all yeah. of that. Then we could be more true to ourselves and not have to struggle as much as we do. Right. Uh, and, and not get blamed for untraditional, non-traditional choices. Sorry. Well, we, right. And then your your society will be more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Which is a better and more diverse, you know. The, which is probably what they're afraid of. <laughs> that's exactly what they're afraid of. Yeah. I mean, if, if you go out into the natural world, the more diverse an ecosystem is, the healthier it is. Yeah. Right now, that yeah. I think that extends over to everything. I think that extends over to our species as well. Um, and if you're not comfortable with diversity and you don't allow your society to be diversity, first diverse, you're, you're, you're suppressing it and you're not allowing it to be healthy. Uh, and, yeah, the system we have in place, we're cogs. Yeah. yeah, the whole send her back thing, you mentioned that before. I think that's one of the most terrifying things I've seen in a really long time. Oh, yeah, it is. It, it's, you just can't believe it's real. You're like, am I asleep? Like, but, is, this, is this a nightmare? That's you know I, I I love the United States of America and that that's not it I think uh, uh, yeah Julian or Julian uh, I don't know how to say Julian Castro in, yeah in in, in Espanol uh, Castro he said it was beautiful he tweeted in response to that he said those four are Americans and uh, the president is a bigot <laughs> you know in a very short sweet to the point yeah yeah absolutely. Anyway, we're just about out of time for this go around. Let's not make it. I mean, uh, now that I know it wasn't intentional that you 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 know you didn't give me the holiday cookies, uh, <laughs> I, I I won't I won't be so spiteful and keep you off the program so much. That's what it was. Okay. I see it was a okay. misunderstanding. Good, yeah, because I didn't even get to tell you about the the Mueller report show. I know, I know, but we're gonna have to hold off on that one. 
Yeah. People will find out. It's happening. No, go ahead. You, 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 you could share when it's going to happen. When is it going to happen? Uh, last weekend in September as part of the Scranton Fringe Festival because they are awesome. They're co-producing um, this sort of last-minute thing that um, is really important. People need to to hear what's in that report. And it's going to be you can read it. You're, di- you're directing it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting the people together now. So I, I always work highly collaboratively. Like my name is written down as director, but it's it, somebody's got his steer. But I mean, I, everybody contributes, you know, I'm, I'm very much about, you know, we're all equals when we get into that room, you know. And, and what is it called again? <laughs> It's called the investigation uh, search for truth in 10 acts. Uh, Robert Shankman, who is a Pulitzer prize winning uh, writer adapted it from the second half of the Mueller report. You can watch the version that they did with a bunch of celebrities um, online. It's about 70 minutes long. It's uh, it is all text from the report, but he frames it in a way um, that just makes it really easy to digest, really watchable. Well, I look forward to your production of it in September. And, and again, yes. thank you so much for, for being a wonderful guest on our, on our program, Kitty Bell Burbank. Thank you. Sorry about the technical difficulties. Yeah, I had them on my end too. Something weird's going on in the ether, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll do a little uh, magic and it'll sound wonderful. Yeah, unplug for the rest of the day if you can. <laughs> I think I will. Good idea. Yeah, good. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Bye.
The Edgar Lee Masters Project, Part 3 Readings from Spoon River Anthology Originally published in 1915 Harry Carey Goodyear You never marveled, dullards of Spoon River, when Chase Henry voted against the saloons to revenge himself for being shut off. But none of you was keen enough to follow my steps, or trace me home as Chase's spiritual brother. Do you remember when I fought the bank and the courthouse ring for pocketing the interest on public funds, and when I fought our leading citizens for making the poor the pack horses of the taxes, and when I fought the waterworks for stealing streets and raising rates, and when I fought the businessmen who fought me in these fights? Then do you remember that staggering up from the wreck of defeat and the wreck of a ruined career, I slipped from my cloak, my last ideal, hidden from all eyes until then, like the cherished jawbone of an ass, and smote the bank and the waterworks and the businessmen with prohibition, and made Spoon River pay the cost of the fights that I had lost. Judge Summers How does it happen, tell me, that I, who was most erudite of lawyers, who knew Blackstone and Coke almost by heart, who made the greatest speech the courthouse ever heard, and wrote a brief that won the praise of Justice Breeze, how does it happen, tell me, that I lie here unmarked, forgotten, while Chase Henry, the town drunkard, has a marble block, topped by an urn, wherein nature, in a mood ironical, has sown a flowering weed. Kinsey Keen Your attention, Thomas Rhodes, President of the Bank, Coolball Whedon, Editor of the Argus, Reverend Pete, Pastor of the Leading Church, A.D. Blood, several times Mayor of Spoon River, and finally all of you, members of the Social Purity Club. Your attention to Cambroni's dying words, standing with the heroic remnant of Napoleon's guard on Mount St. John at the battlefield of Waterloo, when Maitland, the Englishman, called to them, Surrender, brave Frenchmen. There at close of day, with the battle hopelessly lost, and hordes of men, no longer the army of the great Napoleon, streamed from the field like ragged strips of thunder clouds in the storm. Well, what Cambrone said to Maitland, ere the English fire made smooth the brow of the hill against the sinking light of day, say I to you, and all of you, and to you, O world, and I charge you to carve it upon my stone. Benjamin Paintier Together in this grave lie Benjamin Paintier, attorney at law, and Nig, his dog, constant companion, solace, and friend. Down the gray road, friends, children, men and women, passing one by one out of life, left me till I was alone with Nig for partner, bedfellow, comrade in drink. In the morning of life I knew aspiration and saw glory, 
Then she, who survives me, snared my soul with a snare which bled me to death, till I, once strong of will, lay broken, indifferent, living with Nig in the back room of a dingy office. Under my jawbone is snuggled the bony nose of Nig. Our story is lost in silence. Go by, mad world. Mrs. Benjamin Pentier I know that he told that I snared his soul with a snare which bled him to death. And all the men loved him, and most of the women pitied him. But suppose you are really a lady, and of delicate tastes, and loathe the smell of whiskey and onions, and the rhythm of Wordsworth's ode runs in your ears while he goes about from morning till night, repeating bits of that common thing. Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? And then suppose you are a woman well endowed, and the only man with whom the law and morality permit you to have the marital relation is the very man that fills you with disgust every time you think of it, while you think of it every time you see him. That's why I drove him away from home, to live with his dog in a dingy room back of his office. Color in sky, brush and blue Scarlet fleece changes hue Crimson ball sinks from view The legitimacy of the wind cannot be questioned, 
as it blows through the avenues of this mountaintop neighborhood. It is a warm afternoon in the middle of summer, and if you listen real closely, the harmony of the crickets and caddy did will soothe you. Episode 329 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I would like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our regular contributor, Kitty Bell Burbank. I'd like to thank our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, writer Edgar Lee Masters, and these musical artists. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Melanoid, Marvin Gaye, 
Madison Cunningham, Donovan, Postcard, and of course, Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard, too. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one, why don't we? Take care. <laughs>